Welcome to Emron's podcast, episode number 51. This is your host, Suman Silwal. And never stop believing in the person that looks you in the mirror. I would like to thank those of you who have already donated towards my Boston to Big Sur challenge. Please visit emrons.com forward slash B number 2B to learn more about culturecity.org and links to the donation page. Please consider donating dollar per mile for Boston or Big Sur's or both. Thanks. I'd like to welcome Dr. Brett McCabe to Emron's podcast. Brett is a fellow podcaster, as well as if you listen to his podcast called Mindside, I, I do listen to his podcast regularly. And um, also recently he has written a book called The Mindside Manifesto. And I also have listened to his uh, one of the lectures locally. He's actually local to Birmingham. Uh, Brett, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I give a brief introduction. Uh, I would like to kind of introduce yourself. I know that sure. you are famous around the sports, sports and sports psychology. And uh, let's talk about that. What what is sports psychology, and what do you do? Yeah, it's a good question, and and there's a lot of misunderstanding probably in the field. But sports psychology is the study and the application of scientific principles, um, humanistic factors to help improve human performance. Um, so if we all accept the idea that that the mind is powerful. And I think that's a pretty common answer. There's no doubt that if we set our mind to something, we can be successful. It's the study of how to maximize that. And at the flip side, when we're struggling or when we're injured, it, there's, there's, an, there's an entire investment of how to work through those aspects, which are, which are really uh, important. And I think sometimes we overlook them as, as understanding the power of the mind. I know for me as a former college athlete, I was a baseball player in college. I really didn't invest in the mental game until I needed to. And when I needed to, it was probably too late, but it actually, I did actually have success. Um, and it was because of the way that I focused the mind. The question was, what happens if I had turned on to that earlier? Would I have avoided some of the problems that I had? Would I have been able to overcome an injury faster? You know, I, I understand and accept the fact that maybe I couldn't go, you know, I should accept the fact that, you know, I can't change fate. Um, and I wouldn't be what I'm doing today if I had not gotten injured. But as I sure as hell would have liked to have had earlier success and not been limited by some injuries. Definitely. Let's talk about a little bit more about the mind side. Yeah, the mind side in general, it, it was a business I started probably seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. I was actually working in the pharmaceutical industry. I'd completed my doctorate in clinical psychology, done my internship or residency for a year up in Rhode Island um, at Brown. And I always knew I wanted to come back and work with athletes. There was no doubt about it. Being a former athlete and understanding the value that they, this aspect of the game really meant for me. But I, I needed to do something more. And I was working in pharma. I was working in a pharmaceutical job role, which was unique. It wasn't sales, but it was field-based. It was education. It was strategic implementation of, of ideals. And I had a, I had something missing in me and I needed to do something different. And I was working a little bit with athletes. Some athletes had found me and they would say, hey, look, you're a former college athlete. Can you talk to me and help me as what you went through? My coach that I played for in college is essentially the John Wooden of baseball. He's very well-received. He's very successful. Five national titles in 10 years um, in a highly competitive sport. And there was a lot of learnings that I went through and people asked me, so I started working with them. Um, they started having success. And then as success grew with these athletes, 
the challenge came on to do more and more. And then it got to a point where I was like, something I really want to do. I want to see if I can sustain this business independently. I want to see if I can sustain this without having to do another job. I want to be fully invested because I believe so much in the power of the mind. And I believe so much in how much we need to educate on it and coach in it. That to me, it's logical to, to be um, working on it full time. And so I opened up the mind side and a year later went into a, a pretty large office space. Um, and then last, about 16 months ago, I added a consultant um, who came in to join me. Um, and we'll be adding another one probably in the fall. So business is booming. The, the whole purpose behind the mind side, though, goes back to the comment I made earlier. It all begins in the mind. If we believe that and understand that what we create in a vision and what we create in an ideal and a purpose and, it, and our mind locks into it, then we start creating success. And by creating success through a preparation plan and the way that we train ourselves, are we training with frustration and fear or are we training with purpose and intent to get better, to understand that some days we don't actually move the needle of success but we're building up to that day that we do. And that's what the mindset's about, is helping people understand the way that they, they train and understand ultimately at the center who they are as people and develop them first and foremost so that they can perform at their best when it matters the most. Definitely. And uh, along the same line, recently you wrote a book, uh, The Mindset Manifesto. I, get a, I have a copy of it. I'm actually reading it. Uh, let's talk about that book a little bit before we go further. Some of the other questions I have. Yeah, so I, I wrote The Mindset Manifesto. It was about five years in the making. And it wasn't the book that was five years in the making. It was just simply a book. Um, and a book was something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, in my field, you need to write a book. And you need to get your content out there, your platform out there. But I really struggled with that because I didn't feel like I I knew what I needed to know in order to write a book. And I, I still don't know if I do. Um, but I, I put together this book and I, it was actually, there's always been a theme in my life uh, professionally that I think I need somebody who has a uh, has something that they can do something for me. I always doubt whether or not the feasibility of my material will stand alone. And that's a shame because that's a flaw that I've continued to repeat. I got into a business that probably wasn't a good idea because I was trying to do business with somebody so that I could have, um, you know, the sports psychology side paired with this other type of a business didn't work. And it was actually miserable. And the same thing happened with the book. I was writing the book. I had some ideas, some thoughts, and it started off with just the idea of like, where, why do people struggle? Why do people get limited? So I contacted a guy who was a very well-received journalist and he covered me when I played ball in, in South Louisiana. And I called him and I said, hey, I got this idea. I want to write this book. I want it to be different. I want it to be challenging. I, I, I don't want it to be the traditional sports psychology book. And he said, all right. So I started putting some ideas together. He said, put them all down on paper and let's figure out what they are. I was like, okay, I can do that. And he said, don't try to write the book yet. And he said, what I'd rather you do is I want you to write what I think the book may resonate within you. And I was like, all right. So I started doing this. And unfortunately, every time I sent him a version, a week would go by, two weeks would go by, and I wouldn't get any comments back other than, yeah, yeah, it looks good. And I knew he wasn't doing the work. He was busy with some other projects. And I understand that. Okay, I get it. So I eventually got to a spot where I said... I need to do it myself. And I doubted my ability to write because I was afraid I was going to leave something out. I was afraid I was going to, you know, leave some problem out there. But when I decided to do it myself, it took me about three months to write max. And the content came together, the story arc came together, and what I wanted to accomplish came together. And so it was once again one of those lessons that I had to listen to myself. I believe that everything we do in life has a learning associated with it. If we don't learn, we repeat the patterns. I was in the process of repeating my patterns. Um, but I now look at it and go, ooh, the book came out a lot better because it's in my voice. 
So it's been a long time in the making, but definitely a, a good thing. And your recent podcast, you talked about if you wanted something, you will go, you go, you have to go get it. And I think that's what you did. Sounds like hundred uh, percent. One of the other thing uh, you talk about in your book is the five things you do every day. Um, I like that part. Can we briefly talk about that? Sure. So when I studied and, and been around some great folks, I have been around national championship teams and been a part of those teams, played on those teams, been around great leaders have led massive, massive businesses and been around just great coaches or great athletes. And I, I noticed there were about five things that people do every day. And those five things are um, at the beginning of every day, usually it's at the beginning. Um, you can create your own schedule, but usually it's at the beginning. You do administrative things, administrative tasks. And those are tasks in your sport or in your life are usually like things that are pressing today to three weeks from now. In other words, I got to book airline flights. I got to pay some bills. But these administrative tasks, if they're not the primary focus of what we're doing, they build up and they take a stress away from us. And they're, they're tough. So my thing is, let's get them out of the way first. For me, I like to get up every morning. I'd love to say I like to exercise in the morning. That doesn't work for me. Um, I usually stay up late working. So to get up at 5.30 in the morning, just that doesn't resonate with me. I'd rather exercise at the end of the day at five o'clock. And I know that's not what a lot of people do, but for me, that's when I can kind of let go and not, not stress. So for me, I like to get up in the morning. I usually go grab coffee somewhere or have breakfast somewhere. And I like to look at my calendar and write out the things that I need to do today. And that gives me a sense of what are the administrative tasks that I need to focus on my energy right here, right now. You knock it out. And then it allows me to move into my secondary tasks, my second task, which is developmental tasks. Developmental tasks are things that are three weeks out to uh, three, four months out. In other words, as if you're a coach, if you're a business leader, what are you doing, uh, you know, May, June, July? All right. Uh, May, June, July is important, but the average person has a dream of what they want to do in May, June, July. But when it comes down to a plan, they wait to the last minute, they throw something together and we don't get your best. What we get is something quickly thrown together, which is good enough to get by. But great people have a plan. My coach had a, had a, an itinerary for the College World Series before we ever started the season. And that's important. And it's important from a stance of the ideal, both of a vision and what resources we need to do to get there. And I think that's important developmentally. The third one we have to do is we have to do training tasks. Now, if you're in your office and you're working every day and you're, and you're exhausted, you got to have time every day to train, learn to grow your skill sets. If you're a runner, What's your training set you're going to do? What's the plan? Are you just going to get out and run? You know, I think it's a challenge um, to not train and then try to wing it. That's scary. That is um, scary. Yeah. So we got to be trained. Like I want my airline pilots to be in continuous education. I know they are, but I want them to. I want my physicians and my attorneys and to constantly learning the newest up-to-date information. Because the fourth thing that we have to do every day is we have to have time to execute what we're trained to do. And that's a, that's an exciting thing. Execution is, is putting ourselves in the moment to do what we're, what we're needing to do. Getting out there and getting ourselves uncomfortable and learning how to close, learning how to execute, learning how to win, how to be competitive. And then the last thing to do is we have to, um, we have to do review and reflection. And that's hard for people. Review and reflection is something that's often missed. We, we end up most of the time getting done with the day, kicking our shoes up, taking an hour off, and then going to get in bed. And we never have time to look at the learnings of the day. Instead, we're more or less hanging on for dear life. Definitely. I think that part probably I need to review it more often because reviewing ourselves every day is not something I do or I like to do. So just kind of passing through the day, I guess that's, that's a lot of 
of us do. Yeah, a lot of us just move on and they survive the day. And look, I follow it. I fall into the same trap. You know, I, I get really, really busy. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And I get up the next morning and run hard again. And then I get done at night and think tomorrow's going to be different. Tomorrow's no different. The only difference is the date of the calendar changed. I'm still the same guy drowning in the moment. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, one other thing uh, in your book, I'm very impressed. And this first time I was I was introduced, uh, I think, through your book and listened to your podcast about the people you surround with. I feel like I surround myself with at least two or three types of people. Can we briefly talk about that, too? Yeah. So once again, another five point list. But the five people we need to have in our life is we need to have people who are confidence builders, people who are there to build our confidence, make us feel good. It's fun to be around them. If we're in a low moment, we can pick up the phone. If we're in a competitive environment, you know, if you're racing, it's it's like, yeah, I'm going to go out and race somebody I know I can beat today. Now, we're not going to do that all the time, right? Can't do that all the time. But but we're going to do it, um, you know, every so often. feels good to win. It, you know, we, we can't be we can't be such Puritans that we don't allow ourselves to experience joy. So we got to have people in our lives that are that are confidence builders. Now, there's a risk with confidence builders. There's two risks. One is we get complacent because somebody's telling us how good we are all the time. Or two, we get in a position where, you know, you know you should beat somebody, but you don't. And that can be very scary. Last night I was watching this show where they it's on the Food Network, I guess, and they're looking at people who are fakers or bakers. It's the name of it. Bakers <laughs> or fakers or something. And two of the people were fakers and one was a baker. Well, the faker won the contest. And you could see it in the face that the the real baker was so upset. It's, I mean, you could just see it like, I just got beat by somebody who doesn't do this for a living. I do this. Well, that's when we have our identity wrapped up in our outcomes is a, is a little bit of a mistake. But anyway, we got to have confidence builders. Number two, we got to have competitors. Competitors are people that we compete with on a daily basis. So if you're in a running group, it's somebody that you line up with and it's like, okay, if they're going to go hard, I'm going to go harder. If they're going to push hard, I'm going to push even harder. Um, all of these other factors of just continuing to push. Um, we got to have competitors and they may not even be in your same group. You know where they are. And if you know where they are, then, you know, when you're got that morning where it's like, you know what? I don't need to get up. I'm tired. You know what? No, I'm going to get up and get after it. Uh, a lot of time, uh, our competitor is sometimes it's ourself, our time, the clock, PR. Yeah. That's what we're chasing. So, so that's I sometimes I compete against myself. I mean, I do have people lined up against me, but or with them, I line against them, I guess. But, uh, but definitely, a lot of time we're competing against our own time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that competition, but there's still even though you're competing against your own time, there's still people that you we we draft off of other people. You got to think about it. It's like if we didn't have tests in life to be competitive, right? Would we really compete? Would we know the material? If we didn't have a race that was coming up that made us nervous, would we actually train as hard? And that's an interesting question because the truth is no, no. And so we need a little bit more. It's uh, it's, it's kind of cool. So we need competitors. The third thing we need is we need um, we need colleagues. Colleagues are people who are either mentors who've been there and. It's people who, if I'm struggling, I can pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, this is what I've been through. A lot of times it may be somebody who's been through an injury just like us. You know, I think it's um, somebody who you're not afraid to pick up the phone and call and say, you know what? I got this question or this is what's been happening. How do I handle it? That's pretty exciting to have somebody to do that. Now, those three are easy. You know, confidence builders, colleagues and competitors. Those are easy. The last two are hard and they're hard for a reason. They're hard because one, we avoid them because we don't like the way they make us feel, because they make us identify things in us that are not really effective. But they are challengers and critiquers. A challenger is somebody who 
I would say is an advocate for you, but just never accepts what you are is good enough, right? There's somebody who, when you say that was a good day, they go, you could have gone faster. But I, I, I'm proud of you, but you have a lot more in you. Somebody, if you said, man, I thought I was going to die out there. Well, you didn't die, did you? You, you found it. Now let's keep pushing. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I find those people all the time. Yeah, we all find them, but they're invested in you. And the reason they're saying that it's because they believe in your underlying ability. They see they see greatness in you, and they're go, they're not going to let you take the, a day off. Okay. And then the last one is a critiquer, and a critiquer is really really tough because a critiquer is one of those folks who um, they're not nicer than the challenger, but I would say that there's a little bit different angst with them. A critiquer is somebody who's not afraid to tell you you're simply not good enough, and I don't really care if you know it or not. I really don't care. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell it like it is, and you're going to just take it as it is. And I don't care if you like it or not. And that fifth one is really hard to find. No, it's not hard to find. It's hard to listen to. Exactly. and not That's only, the big difference. Maybe they, they don't even want to express unless you have a teenager in the house. So they will. <laughs> <laughs> but deeper than that, though, the reason we avoid and we don't hear the critiquers is because we know sometimes they're true, right? Right. And we know they're true. We bail. Um, and that's that's weird because... They, they hit something, you know, like fear. If we talk about fear, like a running fear, fear of, of getting cramps or fear of entering those dark moments in the run. The reason why fear really works is because fear has some truth to it. So a fear that has no truth to it, you just you can dismiss very easily. But a fear that has tr- that has a little bit of truth to it can stay for a long time. Well, definitely. One other thing um, as a runner and I don't know how other my other my friends and friends do. And as ultra marathon or runners in any distance I do, I I do critique myself. Even though some some people say, "Hey, you did good." I said, "Nope, I didn't do good because you know because yeah. I have to evaluate myself because next time I can do better." Dr. Carol Dweck, who who um, wrote the book Mindset, she's been doing research for many many years in academic achievement and mindset in that environment. She made she said something that was very interesting um, in in her book Mindset, which is. The greats use the word yet. I haven't gotten it yet. I haven't figured it out yet. And it's the inclination, right, that you will get it. It just takes time. There's something more I must learn in order to be great. And yet is so powerful and yet so overlooked. Instead, most of us have what's called a fixed mindset. But a fixed mindset is the idea that I should be able to do this. I should have run faster. I should have had a better kick. I should have, I should have, I should have. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where you've got to understand and appreciate when you're in there, you got beat you got beat up today. You got your butt kicked in the middle of a run. You had nothing in the tank. You were exhausted. What did you learn? Well, the first thing you can learn is you haven't figured it out yet, that you're going to come back at it tomorrow and have a brand new day, and that there's a challenge for you to work through versus having some predetermined outcome. Definitely. Those are tough moments as you get beaten up. Oh, big time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. you an athlete and you have gone through a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, 2016 had been a really slow year for me and nothing, nothing any amazing thing I did. But just being there, out there competing, I still was out there doing what I usually do, even yeah. though most of the outcomes were not what I wanted. Well, and, and to remember, one of the things that we do when we are struggling is we overcomplicate. That's a great time when you're struggling to reinvest in um, the simple things of what we do, the, the what I call foundations, the basics, the things that make you be successful, the things that challenge you to be successful, the simplicity. So if you if you can get focused on that, you're going to be a lot better off. 
Definitely. Um, I'm trying to get back to 2015. I think it was 2015, a few years ago when I ran my first 100. I uh, just signed up for 50. I was not going to even run 100, but I ended up running 100. And I had the best performance because I didn't know what I was getting into it. I guess mm. I, I didn't have, I was just, I, my, I had my heart into it more than a mind or anything. But I have not able to repeat that performance. And I even uh, this weekend when I went back to the same course and I'm asking myself, how did I do that? So I need to go back to basic. It was simply, it was simple thing I did that year I have with no support nothing but so I'm just trying to you know I struggle through trying to figure out what what did it make it great that year versus whatever I'm I'm trying so hard now I'll, I'll give you one of the biggest ones there for you and the biggest challenge is you probably were struggling with with high expectations expectations are a trap all right it's a trap for many reasons but the biggest reason is it's based on something you've done in the past as if you should should's a dangerous word Okay, very dangerous word because it's saying that you are that you didn't do something that you believed you could do and you failed at it versus going into it with the idea that there is no guarantee on anything that I do. No guarantee. Zero. All there is is opportunity to compete and find if I can find the pathway to succeed. So when we have high expectations, all of a sudden, the minute something doesn't seem right, as soon as something is struggling, we put pressure on ourselves. But when you don't know, you invest in your process and what I call demands. What are those demands? Well, those demands are things that they're behaviors or they're mental approaches. That's the better success rate to have. When we're starting to compete with expectations, we're actually never giving ourselves the freedom to succeed. I think that may be my problem. So mm -hmm. I need yeah, to... a lot of times it is. I may have to reevaluate the whole thing. I have a question for you here. Is that why some people are mentally tough naturally while others are not? How to develop mental toughness. I, I don't think people are born mentally tough or not born mentally tough. I think people are born with situations where they can believe they can persevere regardless of the circumstance. All right. So if you grow up in a home where the minute something goes wrong, you're looking to an external source to help fix your problem, you're not going to develop a lot of mental toughness. At the same time, if you're in an, uh, an environment where every time you did something, you were berated by your family or ignored by your family, more than likely you may not have mental toughness. But if you believe in yourself and you're taught to self-discover and you're taught to find it, mental toughness starts growing with confidence. In other words, I'm able to sacrifice my value in this outcome. In other words, I'm going to try to win this. I'm going to try to compete through this. I'm going to try to find the answer. And if, whether I succeed or not doesn't change how I view myself. That's an important distinction to have. How, how I view myself does not change. Okay. But I want to meet the demands of the moment. Now that's mental toughness. All right. Now, what do we only see? It's somewhat of a self-selection bias. Um, we only identify those people who, who are succeeding and then define them as mentally tough. There's other people who are mentally tough that aren't succeeding or haven't succeeded yet. You just haven't figured out a way. Definitely. Talking about figuring out a way, I meet and I'm myself as well, and I discuss with a lot of my friends, a lot of us were late starter on running. We were not lifetime mm -hmm. runners, not, not even athletes. Uh, we just stumble across running. Once we found, we stayed with it, and we're actually able to succeed and do many, many things. We have even elite athletes now. They discover I mean, running as late part of their life, not as a, they were not never were a runner, and then they became a runner. Is this something that, that we have it within ourselves, or we are born? with it or just something comes later on live well i think I, you know i i think we we spend way too much time trying to identify who's going to make it five ten years down the road the people who are talented early may not have the time the resources or the interest but they find it later right so for me once interest matches desire which matches preparation which you know that stubbornness then at that point we're we're resetting 
um, and we're re-engaging to figure out what we're capable of. And I think that's the more powerful thing. Definitely. And one of the other things, um, we keep on taking ourselves beyond. Uh, we, I was running 5K, half marathon, full marathon, 100 miles, and trying to find that limit, physical limit, mental limit, and how, how to break that to see what is our limit, you know, how, how limitless can it be. Is it limitless or is there a limit? Everybody has a limit. I think everybody has a limit, but I don't know if we know what that is until we've actually failed at it multiple times to achieve it. I think we have we all have different physical limitations, right? That's I think everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. So not everybody wants to be a rock star, right? Some people like to, some people want to be a rock star and they can't sing or play a, a musical instrument. Um, and, and it doesn't matter how much they're trying. So I do believe that there's a certain facet of, of talent behind the scenes, but not everybody who's talented makes it. Now, how do we succeed? How do we, how do we push those limits? Well, the only way we're going to push our limit is to push beyond our current cap- capability, our current you know, state, and then fail a little bit, learn from what we failed with and push again. And then eventually we get to a spot where we, you know, the, the law of diminishing returns hit where we can only go so far um, and we stop or, you know, we realize that the amount of effort it's going to take to make the next push through, we're not physio- physiologically capable of doing and we stop there. But sometime, back to your podcast, recent podcast, sometime we, and I, I tell myself same thing, we keep on digging and digging, and then we said, we, it's enough, I think this is my limit. But then we realize that the limit is a feet away or a mile away or, you know, 100 miles away. Mm-hmm. And how do you get through that wall or, or push through it? How, what, what? Well, we're always going to have dips. Okay, we're always going to have low points. But if we find the resolve to continue to push and start growing again and start building confidence and belief and and enhancing the skills, once again, we don't know what signpost we're going to hit. So I don't think we should know that going in. I really don't. I think we just need to continue to push and let the environment make a final decision when we look back and go, I got pretty high. I did pretty good. Well, the the big thing is there's two concepts. There's one called capability, which is what we're underlying ability is, but capacity is how we're defined day in to day out. And that's do we meet the do we meet the demands of the moment? And capacity is taking what you have and maximizing it every day. So you might be struggling and you may go out and say, Look, I'm I'm just getting off of an upper respiratory infection and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm worn out. Well, you go, Can I give everything I've got today? Or am I going to get more caught up in what I don't have? Am I going to get more caught up and frustrated with the fact that I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm frustrated because of this, I'm frustrated, or go, you know what, today's going to be hard. It's not a validation day, right? It's another concept I keep coming back to. We can't use validation to be our determinant. Great point. Brett, uh, are you still active? Uh, do you, are you, you help a lot of athletes and uh, do a lot of things in and around here and nationally. Uh, are you still actively doing anything, running, walking, playing baseball? That's your background. So Yeah, I play golf. Um, that's not the most active sport. Um, I used to, I've never been a runner. Um, I didn't realize I had asthma when I was a kid. And so I'd go out and run and baseball pitchers have to go run three or four miles after practice. And, and I, not only that is I have a type of flat footed experience that's called deformed flat footed. So it's very hard for me to run. I, you know, if I'm running behind you, put it to that way. So when you match the, the way that my foot hit the pavement, uh, with my asthma, I could never understand why I was running in college. We have to go run three or four miles and people would say, you should run at a pace of which you can have a conversation right? That's the old uh, folklore. Uh I couldn't even do that. And I thought, God, am I out of shape? I was in the best shape of my life. I mean, I would run a five mile track that we had. I'd run it in like 44 minutes. So I was, for me, that was good, right? So nine minute mile, you know, I thought that was pretty good. 
um, over five miles. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy, but I would do it. I actually got more fit on a bike. And as a pitcher using my legs, I seem to be much more powerful and gain much greater endurance by really kicking butt on the bike, uh, stationary bike and working that. Um, but recently, about two months ago, I had my left hip replaced. I'm 44. So I've had some pain for a while, um, some limitations. I got in the best shape of my life post-competitive uh, athletics about six years ago until my hip started going out. Um, when I opened up my business, uh, my wife and I were exercising four or five days a week um, in a structured training class, very competitive, getting after it, really seeing some great things. And I just got to a spot where my hip was killing me. And I thought I had hip flexor problems and IT band problems. I finally went to the doctor and they did an x-ray and they said, oh, no, no, you've got, you're going to have a hip replacement. And that lasted about a year. And so I had my left hip replaced in December 7th of 2016. And so I'm just now getting back to being able to do things. Now that I've been able to walk and be great um, with no limitations. But I was cleared about two weeks ago with my schedule. I've been slowly getting back. I went and hit golf balls recently. Um, and so I'm working on rebuilding strength, now getting the weight back off that had built up since I'd stopped doing work um, and getting in a much more fit environment. And um, so I like to be active. I like to exercise. Um, the challenge that I have as an exerciser is, and I didn't realize this from the, the asthma, um, which is now treated, I always struggled with feeling very lightheaded while I worked out and trained. So if I, I could squat a lot, I could do a lot of those types of activities. But when I got empty or when I got to the bottom and, you know, we do a lot of heart rate stuff, I'd get very lightheaded. And so for me, I don't like that feeling. So I just started wearing a, a, a heart rate monitor and that seems to help out quite a bit. Definitely. You inspire a lot of people, including myself. I listen to your podcast and get inspired. But how and who inspires you? You know, for me, when it comes to mental toughness, um, my father inspired me quite a bit. He had a, a chronic illness that was brought on by um, some military service. He was a 20-year veteran, and for about five years, he really struggled and passed away six, five years ago, uh, a little over five years ago. But he went through, he had two periods where he was in the hospital for about four months at a time, and then would have to go through rehab, and he passed away the last time. But he never lost his sense of self. He never lost his dignity, um, and he, he never lost his fight. And so for me, I'll draw on that quite a bit. And when I, I did a podcast right before my hip and my hip surgery, and I told the story in that, that, um, you know, I was really, really nervous about my hip surgery because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how much it was going to hurt. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what my limitations are going to be. I, I got to say, it wasn't the hardest surgery to recover from. It wasn't comfortable, but it wasn't hard. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to have the other one done right now, but as I said, I, I had my dad's jacket that he wore into the hospital. It's just a nice North Face jacket. And I wore it into the hospital the day of the surgery. And I, I said on the podcast, I said, I'm going to put it on and I'm going to walk in like a boss. Because that's what he did the last day he, the last couple of times he went in the hospital. On the surgery that he had before he, he, that started his downward slide, he walked in that morning. I walked right alongside with him. It was a massive, massive surgery. And he walked in like it was nothing. So when I look at struggles and I look at facing fears. To me, I look at my dad. Um, he faced things with, you know, no, no question. And he faced everything. And so for me, whenever I'm struggling, that's what I pull on. Definitely. Well, before I ask you this last question, where can uh, our listener can find your book? Is that an Amazon now? Yeah, um, it's on Amazon. You can search the Mindside Manifesto if you want an understanding about how to lock into an urgent competitive mindset. Right. So stop letting life live. You start living life. If you want to have success, you got to start dreaming it and getting after it. That's important. And so you can go on the mind side or you, you can go on the mind side .com or you can go to Amazon and we have it both available there. 
and also your podcast name is the Mindside. Yep, the Mindside podcast. It's a it's a green cover with a brain on it, and it does it's done very very well. And uh, we got some really good guests this past um, one of the past weeks. We had Shamika Hoseclaw, who is a multiple time All American collegiate basketball player, number one pick in the WNBA draft, who who hit a hit a rough spot in her life, and she talks about her mental health and her mental wellness and coming back. And I think it's must listen for anybody who's who's a human being. Great. Uh, before we conclude our interview, I just wanted you to give a word of advice to anybody, anybody who's listened to us, uh, who's trying to find limit and trying to find the mind side of their running or any anything they are trying to do in life. Can you give a word of advice? Never stop and and never stop believing in the person that looks you in the mirror. Okay. Um, that person that looks back at you in the mirror is somebody who wants to be invested in and wants to be believed and doubts we're going to have, but we got to smother them with belief. And if we do that, we can achieve new, new high levels and, uh, just continue to push the, the bar higher and higher. That sounds like a great word of advice and thanks for your time and, uh, looking forward to hearing you more on the Mindside podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emran's podcast. Please subscribe to Emran's podcast channel, Voice of Runners. Also, follow emruns.com's social media handle, Marathon Runs, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for recent updates, photos, and more.